Well, hey, good morning to everybody who is here and made your way out to be with us in this space. And uh, I always want to say hello to all of you who are watching online, wherever you are, whether you're home, driving, uh, on the beach, that's, my, that's what I would prefer uh, for me. But you, hopefully you're there and you're watching us and, and making us a part of your journey with God. Thank you for doing that. My name's Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad that you are here with us in this series that we're calling No More. And what we're doing in this series is we're just taking a look at some things we want to say no more to in our spiritual lives so we can get after what God has for us. And what we're doing is we're basing this series on the idea uh, that's actually a truth. It's a truth about you, that, that God made you for a purpose, that, that you have a call on your life. Right now, as you are, as you sit, wherever you are, there is a purpose and a call in your life. And, and we're using a few uh, places in the Bible that God says this about you. Uh, here's what he says about you in Ephesians 2.10. He says that, that you are his workmanship, created, to do good works in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand, that you should walk in those good works. That's, that's what he made you to do. And in Titus, he says this as well. He says that, that, that the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote yourself to good works. Why? Because they're profitable, not just for you, but for people around you who you love and who uh, you care for. And so uh, in order for us to get on that path, to be fulfilling God's purpose in our lives, and then that in turn filling us up, we need to say no more to some things that get in the way. And last week we looked at saying no more to distractions. And today we're gonna say no more to disinterest. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by disinterest? So I, want to, I want to talk today about getting rid of being spiritually apathetic. Spiritually apathetic. I have a working definition of apathy. If you don't know what that is, here's what it is if you're taking notes. That, that apathy is a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or care. It's the feeling, when we look at it spiritually, it's kind of the feeling of just going through Christianity, going through the motions of it, but just not having any passion there. I think there are a lot of Christians, there are a lot of people maybe here who would say that you have a saving faith in Jesus, but spiritually there's just not a lot of excitement about that for you. There's, there's not a lot of that going on in your life. There's a, there's a lack of enthusiasm that you have for God. You're more bored uh, then interested in what's happening and what God wants you to be doing. And so here's where the trick is for me today. This is a tricky message because I'm actually trying to talk to disinterested people. All right, so that's kind of tricky. But here's what I believe, everybody. I believe this. The more I got going towards it this week, the more I believe this. I think God is gonna wake some of you up from disinterest today. I believe he will do that. He has the power to do that. It's not about what I can do up here. I think he's gonna wake some folks up about the disinterested life that you're living and get you on that enthusiastic, passion-filled life with him and get you back in the game with what he wants to do. That's my hope today, and I believe that that's going to happen, okay? So how do we overcome the epidemic of being apathetic with our faith? So to get an idea of this, to get an idea of what we're facing and how we gotta sort of face this and fight our way out of it, we're gonna look at a story that Jesus shares with us. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 10 to see that story. Luke chapter 10. Now, as you're getting there and getting your phones out and your Bibles, I'm gonna share like an illustration maybe to try to get us connect 
with being apathetic, all right? Just, just a connection story and illustration for me, uh, which is my relationship with golf or my lack of relationship with golf, okay? So 20 years ago, 20 years ago, if you would have come up to me and asked me, Andy, do you golf? I would have said, yes, absolutely, I do. I like it. I, I go to the driving range. I, I hit balls all the time. I practice. I like playing with my friends. I take the time to do it. So I would have said, yes. I wouldn't have said I was great at it, but that wasn't your question. You just asked if I played, all right? Um, so I would have said, yes, I played. But after... Uh, some time, all right? And, and maybe a few horrible rounds contributed to, to this, okay? Uh, and then after maybe just some frustrations and then, then really what you shouldn't do if you're a golfer, don't calculate how much time you're out there, everybody, okay? Because after I started calculating how long it takes to get a round of golf in and then that I could be literally doing anything else, here's what happened. I, I just kind of stopped liking it. I did, I, I just kind of stopped liking it. And then I gave away my clubs, I gave away my clubs and I just stopped playing. Can I still play? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I guess so. Actually, a year ago, my father-in-law invited me to play. And so I did it. I said, all right, I'll go just for you. And we played. I had a great time. I used his clubs. I didn't even have clubs. I used his clubs. I had a really good time. But here's what I'll say. I did not go out and buy another set after that, everybody. Like, I just didn't do it. Uh, so, so I could say that I golf but it's that I just don't really have that much interest in it anymore like I did. And if you are my father-in-law, I'll go out and play around a golf with you. Not because I like golf, because I love my father-in-law. I would do that to, to be with him. That's why I would go. So here's where I'm going with this. So you could say that I am at best apathetic about golf. And here's what's true about this. See, my being apathetic to golf and playing golf has pretty much zero effect on the quality of my life. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't have any effect on my ability to be a good dad, a good husband, or anything that I'm really looking for in life. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. It just, it really, in the long run, doesn't have any effect on that. It has not dramatically impacted my life when I played it versus uh, not playing it. But when I am apathetic about my faith, that's different. That's different because it will dramatically impact my life. And here's why, because gang, if what the Bible says is true, all right, if just what the Bible says is true, and if I look at the benefits of what following Jesus looks like and going after that in my life, then my being apathetic about that or not really interested in doing that will absolutely affect my life. Here's, how, here's what it will affect. It will affect my character. If, if I don't do it, if I'm apathetic, it will affect my peace. It will impact the wisdom that I wanna bring in my life. It will absolutely impact my ability to be a good dad and a good husband. And so here's, here's what I want us to see today, gang. I want us to see that when you do have a spiritual uh, apathy in your life, you take yourself out of the game. And God doesn't want that for you. God wants you uh, to be in the game with him. It can keep you from doing the things that I uh, know God wants you to do. And, and here's what I'm gonna do today. Here, here's where I'm going with this. I am going to assume that you are watching this or you are here because you don't wanna be disinterested in your spiritual life. That you're looking, you're searching, and you, you don't want your spiritual life to be boring. That's, that's my guess. If, if you are, that's, that's really, I mean, if you're here and you wanna be bored, that's, that's a terrible thing, right? Like, I don't think anybody would want that. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna encourage you today. 
in that. I want to find some ways to help you get out of that uh, if you have ears to hear this. And again, I'm praying and hoping that God does that. And then for those of you here who would say that that's not you, right? That, that you are enthusiastic. You have a passion for following God. This message today is for you too, because none of us are immune to this hitting our lives a time or two as we go through our life. And so this may be something that will help you if it does, and in fact it will come to you if it, if it ever does. And so today, here, here's where, what I want to do. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to find your passion, all right? But gang, listen, it's also a warning, it's also a warning because if you let this go too long, if you let indifference to God and your faith go too long, if you don't see it for what it is and kind of hit it and get rid of it, uh, there's gonna be some devastating consequences. In fact, I wanna give us two dangerous outcomes of spiritual apathy if it's not seen and dealt with. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. The first one is that you'll eventually, trust me, just give up if you don't deal with it and see it for what it is. If you keep limping along, Here's what will happen. You will eventually, it, it starts kind of gradual. You get kind of, yeah, I don't know. I'm just not interested. And you'll kind of, you know, stop giving. You'll, you only come on special occasions. You know, it's like, hey, I'll do it because she's asked me to do it or, or whatever. And then you'll eventually uh, kind of give up on people. You'll give up on church. And then eventually what will happen is you'll give up on God. So you'll give up. Here's another one that'll happen is that the other thing that could happen is you'll just actually just end up living a powerless life. That maybe you won't give up on your faith. Maybe you white knuckle it as hard as you can and you don't give up and maybe you'll hang on. But what will happen is you will just kind of basically live out a powerful life or powerless life. God becomes just this routine, this, this religious thing that you do. And gang, that's tragic. That is absolutely tragic because when you are walking with God in a way, in a powerless way, then you don't see, and you don't see God showing up. That's what happens. You don't see him showing up or doing anything in your life. If you don't have any of that going on, right? If you are walking through life in a powerless life, I do not blame you for being disinterested. I don't blame you for having apathy in your spiritual life. But I'm gonna tell you here, gang, right now, that is not how God works. That is not what God does. He is a powerful, almighty God who could do mighty works through you as you sit and as you think about this. He could do that right now. And these are ways that will encourage you and remind you and give passion in you every single day. That's who God is. Anybody say amen to that? Yes, amen. That's who he is and what he wants to do. So how do we overcome? How do we overcome this issue of spiritual disinterest? All right, let's go to the story. Hopefully you made your way there to Luke chapter 10. All right, we're gonna see and hopefully find some things that God wants us to see. We're gonna pick this up in verse 25. Here's what happens. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? All right, so Jesus is just out there one day just probably talking to a group of people. And, and so what we see is this, this guy come up and it says he's an expert in the religious law, which means, here's what this means, is that he was following God, uh, the Jewish God, and so he was following uh, the, the Old Testament law, which means that he, and it said he was an expert, so he knew everything and was following this, which meant he was following over 600 commands. This is what those folks did. They thought, tried to follow 600 commands uh, to be right with God. And so he knew them and, and he knew them all. And he asked this question. He asked Jesus this question. Hey, hey, what is it that I need to do to know that I'm good with God? Hey, how do I know that, that I'm there? What is most important to God? And so Jesus, 
Being Jesus, he answers a question with a question. I love that about Jesus. Here's what he said. He said, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And so I love that because he says, well, you're the expert. Why don't you help us out there, buddy? All right, so, so the guy goes, all right, I'll answer. Here's what I think. So the man says, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so the guy answers. He says, all right, I think I got it. And, and actually, what he does is pretty amazing because he just boiled all 600 of these things down to two things that he tried to sum up with uh, over the 600. And he found uh, a, one thing out of Deuteronomy and another thing out of Leviticus. And so he actually did something amazing here because he summed up the 600 commands to what they're actually supposed to do, what they're boiling down to do, that all of them lead to you loving God and loving people better. So, so he actually did really good. Let's see, see what Jesus says to him. He says, right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. And so then Jesus, what I'm imagining, he kind of starts to walk away because he said, great answer. But the guy, something was going on. He was not satisfied. He, he was not content with that answer. And so he says, I got another question for you. Um, and so here's what he said. He said, wait, stop, Jesus. It says he wanted to justify his actions. And so he asked Jesus, wait, and who, who is my neighbor? And so it says this guy tries to justify himself. And so he says, Jesus, Listen, you can't just do a mic drop here and say, yep, do that and go away. I need, I need some understanding here. I, need, I have another question. This is too wide of a thing of what I just said was the answer, so you need to clarify. And here's what I think is happening. I think the guy felt the pressure. He felt the squeeze of what this meant of loving God and loving people like that. He knew the answer, but he needs to know. And sometimes I think we need to know the same thing. We want to know the same thing when it comes to us and God. Here's what he's wanting to know. This is what he's wanting to know. So... What's the minimum I gotta do? That, that's what he's asking. Hey, what's the minimum amount of neighbor loving that, I, how low can you go, Jesus? That's what, that's what he's asking. And so the guy asks, hey, so who's my neighbor? You're saying, hello, who's my neighbor? Well, Jesus, Jesus tells them and us a story. This is how he answers it. So he says, next verse, he says, he replies the story. He goes, all right, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. Let's see what the priest did. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. And then a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And so in this, what Jesus is saying, what I really want us to see is, is that this shows us the powerful image of being apathetic with God. This is a powerful image of being apathetic with God. That, that it's this, that I see the problem. I see what's happening. I, I see that over there. But I don't really want to get too involved. I mean, I don't, I'm not, I, honestly, I'm not really that interested in it. I'm kind of, eh, I'm kind of surface. I have other things to do. I have more interesting things to worry about and be concerned about other than that thing. And, and as I studied this, and as you study this or know a little bit about priests and Levites and folks like that, here's, here's what, uh, these guys could have removed themselves with loopholes and, and reasons. They absolutely could have said, well, I've got this to, to kind of justify uh, what, what they would say is, here's the reason why I'm not helping that guy and gang. Uh, we can relate to that, right? We've all done that. Every single one of us has done that. We've had reasons and found loopholes uh, for, from loving or caring or doing those things. We, we can do that. So we know it's not hard to do. 
But this gang is what goes with our faith. This is, what, this is how our faith goes, and our faith can become what this picture is that Jesus is painting as well, that we see it, we see our faith, and, and it's there, and, and we think about it, we think about what faith should be, but eh, I don't know, man, that's a lot of effort. Ah, you know, I don't know, man, that's not that interesting enough to me. I need to feel it, man, I'm not really feeling it, and we justify our actions at the same time. This is what happens, this is what happens when we become apathetic with our faith. Jesus continues. He goes, then a despised Samaritan came along. What's up with that? Well, okay, so, so just so you know, this is very interesting to know. It's important. So Samaritans to the Jewish people were really not great. They were no bueno, right? They, they, were like, they were very, they considered them unclean, dirty, don't touch them, don't even look at them, right? Like they, they will mess you up if you just look at them. Don't make eye contact with Samaritans. So that, that's where they were. And, and Jesus in this story, you gotta know, he's talking to a primarily Jewish audience. So I just love that he's like, I know you know. So he's a spy, okay? So, so he says, then a despised, Samaritan came along and when he saw the man though he felt compassion for him going over to him the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them then he put a man on his own donkey and he took him into an inn where he took care of him the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him take care of this man now I want to share something as I studied this, and, and I've, I've read this through the years, but, but I find words interesting to me. And what I found interesting is the word uh, for compassion in this, as Jesus said he had compassion on him. So uh, in the original Greek language, okay, in the original Greek language, there are a few words that end up being translated as compassion. But uh, the Greek word in here specifically, the Greek word for compassion here is this word called spoknizomai, all right? So that's how Jesus uses spoknizomai. Uh, and so when the ancient writers who were translating this, they saw that word that Jesus used, spoknizomai, here's what they knew, gang. This is, you just gotta think about this. They knew that that word meant more than compassion. It was deeper than compassion, but they didn't have another word to actually fit any better than the word compassion. It was the best word they could use. But here's what they knew when they saw that word. They knew that it was, it was dealing with something taking place in the gut. That's what this meaning is. That, that what it really means is to be moved as, as in someone's inwards. That's what it means. A little bit more the compassion, that you are bothered, that, that it messes with you. It really messes you up. It's not just, oh, man, I feel bad for them or anything like that. No, it changes you when you see it. That's what's happening. I can hardly take it. I am sick over this. That's spoknizomai, okay? So he's saying this is what happened with this guy. And then Jesus, after this story, he turns everything on his head by asking this one question. Now, buddy, you're gonna wish you didn't ask me this question there, buddy. Okay, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. So Jesus asked a really simple question. Hey, uh, who was going after God more? Who was really getting after their faith? Who, who was really seeing faith work in their lives and showing interest in seeing something more than just a surface level kind of faith? And the guy answers, it's, it's the one who showed mercy. It's the one who did. And maybe the guy starts to understand his own hypocrisy and what he was trying to do with the religion stuff that he was trying to follow. I don't know, I don't know. 
But Jesus says this guy, so the guy says, the guy who showed him mercy, and I love Jesus' response. He goes, yeah, you answered correctly again. Good for you, good for you. I love that. Now, go and do the same. And we have to see how shocking this is. We have to see how shocking this is to the audience that was listening to this and the, the, the back and forth with Jesus and this, this, this man who knew the law, who was a religious expert, not only just because of the difference between Jews and Samaritans. Again, they thought Samaritans were no good. Like they couldn't even, you know, stop trying to even be good, like that kind of thing. But just for us globally, how shocking this message is. Because what Jesus says right here, what Jesus did in his story, changes how we see people forever in that moment. Changes what God said about how we deal with people and what the kingdom of God is about forever. Because here's the thing, gang, in the kingdom of God, here's what Jesus was saying. There are no boundaries. There are none when it comes to who your neighbor is. No biases you should have. No limit of love, depending on what they're doing and how they're living or anything like that. That no one can say they love God, but can also say, I have my definition of neighbor, Jesus. I get to choose who I love and don't love. It was shocking. Gang, listen, it was shocking then. It's still shocking today. It's still shocking today how a lot of people say they love God, but we, we kind of say, well, who's, who's my neighbor really? And not really them, maybe them. But, but what Jesus said, I love this, is, is he did something that redefined human history right there on what a neighbor looks like and what it, should, what it means to be loving the way that God wants us to love. Okay, so how does this fit with us? How does this fit with looking and how's this tie in for us? Here's how it ties in for us, gang. It ties in with the fight for us. And the fight for us is the fight of meh. Let me explain. How do you feel? Meh. Hey man, what do you think about doing this thing over here for God? Meh, meh, I don't know, man. What are you passionate about? Ah, meh. Why is it, why is it the people who say they love God but don't really get involved in God's business that much? They have the information. They love getting that information. They love getting deeper. I want to get deeper, but, but really when it comes to having that action for God, why is it that, that we really don't see as many people doing that, that, than actually just learning or seeing? Why is it that many Christians find it difficult to care the way that God wants us to care, the way that Jesus said to care? Again, I don't think here, again, I don't think this is the mindset that any of us here want, but doesn't it just kind of happen to everybody? Don't we just kind of, Walk into it, you just kind of see yourself sort of happening and you see yourself instead of crossing that road and really doing something, you kind of just pass by with your faith. Meh, I don't know, is it worth it? Now, I think, I, I really do think there are real reasons why we don't see this happening as much as we should. I think there are some reasons uh, that take us from that. One, here's one, uh, I think the amount of information that we're exposed to does not help us in the compassion department. I think the amount of information that we get is not helping. Think about, think about how much you actually see on a daily basis, okay? What you watch and all that stuff and how overwhelming it should be, but it's just not. You think about that? Think about, gang, listen, think about the news you watch, the tragedies that are happening all over, the problems around how accessible it is to us just in the push of a button. And when I was a kid, listen, in the 80s, you just didn't get that much information. You only had like five channels and you had a newspaper. That was about it, you know? So, so I think the rate by which we are getting and receiving all of this information, here's what happens, gang. I think it actually messes with us because we get so inundated. Come with me. You just get kind of numb to everything else that's going around. 
You just get kind of numb to everything going on around us. I think that's one reason. Here's another reason. I think another reason is that the comforts we have, the comforts that we have, go from a blessing to a curse real fast if we're not careful. I think they go from a a blessing to a curse if we're not careful. I believe that for most of us, again, you do want your faith moving. Like you do see things, you, you do want to do something and get involved, but I think our comforts have just become a pretty bad crutch for our lives. And we gotta face this. We gotta face, I kind of talked about it last week, but most of us here, I hate to break it to you, are incredibly blessed with comforts compared to the world. Incredibly blessed. And, and the more comfortable we get, here's what happens, gang. This is where apathy comes in to our lives. The more comfortable you get, the more life starts to be a little bit more about you, right? About my, hey, this is what I get out of it, how, how everything becomes a service to me. Everything becomes, including God and church and faith. That's what happens. And so then church becomes this weird thing for people about your comfort. It's like, well, this is what I get. I get coffee and donuts. I get to sit and, and I love it, man. The seats are comfy. And uh, man, I get to listen to stuff and I get to just go home. And, I, and don't make me feel uncomfortable. Like I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be uncomfortable. But gang, I just want to say this. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not how we should see our life and faith. And I'm glad that we got what we got. I'm glad that this is a comfortable place to come where you can experience God. But I wanna tell you, man, that is not the God. The world is messy. It is uncomfortable, gang. Have you noticed that? And with Jesus, what he shared with his life and death and with this story that we just read is that he's sharing us to go live in the mess, not be comfortable and get away from it. You hear me? Because when we get into the mess, when we get into the uncomfortable spots, I wanna tell you something, that's where God's kingdom gets crazy in your life. And that's where you change and that's where others change. And if you don't do it, if you stay comfortable and get out of it, that's going to lead, that's gonna lead to a powerless life. You hear me? It will lead to a powerless life. I think those are the things that are fighting against us. So what do we do? What do we do? Right, again, I I wanna encourage you a little bit. I wanna look at a few things. If you're taking notes, if you haven't written anything down, I pray and hope you write these down or, or make a note. I know, again, I'm talking to different people. I get it, but okay, try to write these down as best you can. Get a little interest and let's go look at a few things on how we can get out of that rut and find our spiritual boredom coming out of this so we can say no more to it. Now, first thing that you have to realize, first thing, if you're there right now, some of you might be, here's what I want you to see uh, your spiritual apathy. Look at it and think about it more of a beacon than something's broken. You getting me? Like think about that more as a beacon, like pointing you to something than something's broken. It's like, oh man, what's broken? Because then if you see it as a beacon, then, then what it is, is it's a call to get closer to God. It's a call to get closer to who he is and what he can do in you. And, and you gotta find, and then you'll find out what's really robbing your joy. That's why these are really important. So three things that we do. Here's the first one that we do if we're in there. The first thing I gotta do is I gotta follow convictions, not feelings. I gotta follow convictions, not feelings. You gotta let your convictions lead. And here's what'll happen, gang. When you let your convictions lead, feelings will follow, I guarantee it. When you follow your convictions, then then I think the feelings will follow. Most people uh, want feelings to lead their choices. That's really kind of what we see in our culture. Like you've gotta feel it first and then everything else will follow. Uh, But can I just tell some of you, that's why your life isn't where you want it to be. That's why, you're, that's why your faith is not where you think it should be. That's why it's not as exciting as it should be. And, and if, you're in a place, if you're in a place where you are not feeling it with God right now, where you're not feeling it with, with your faith right now, don't wait for feelings to come. You will wait the rest of your life. 
before you get up off that seat and do something for God and his kingdom. This is a key. Gang, I'm telling you, this one right here is a key to getting back on that track, to having spiritual energy again with God. And can I just testify something in my own life? And some of you might say amen to this, that sometimes you just have to do it in order to have the feelings, right? I mean, sometimes you just gotta do it and the feelings will follow. Anyone with me on that? It's true, it's true. Now, and I want you to notice, because here's the example we have. Look at the Samaritan. Look at the steps that he took. He came along, right? He came along, and because he came, he saw, and then when he saw, he felt. So he went, he saw, and he felt. And a gang, a lot of us have that backwards. We wanna feel first, and then see, and then do something. But we gotta get it right, okay? There is an ability. There is an ability for every single one of you, and out there, to be enthusiastic for God. Every single one of us can be enthusiastic for God. Now, enthusiasm looks different, right? Your enthusiasm might look different than mine. It's not what you see on the outside that matters. That's not what I'm talking about. It's what's on the inside. But God gave us all the ability to have a great passion for his kingdom. You are not missing a button that everybody else has. That's what I wanna tell you. There's no button that's missing. Like God forgot that button on me. No, he didn't forget that. But you need to get settled on this. Here's what you need to get settled on, gang. You need to get settled that feelings and emotions are not what those of us who are enthusiastic about God rely on. I think some of you mess that up too. Like you're like, well, gosh, if I felt that way, I'd probably do it too. No, that's not why we're doing it. We're doing first and then feelings follow. Amen, everybody? That's why you see what you see. It's following convictions and then feelings will follow. Now, your feelings are important. You hear me? Your feelings are important. You gotta understand, uh, what the, but you cannot let them drive you. They will never drive the spiritual passion that you, that you wanna find, okay? Here's the, that's the first thing. Here's the second one, that I also have to focus on serving God. Focus on serving God. Now, I love this one because as I did a Bible search on passion, enthusiasm, and all this stuff, this one came straight out of an awesome verse that I found, and I've read it before, but it just popped out at me, and it's in Romans 12. Look at what Romans 12, 11 says. This is really great. So here's what it says to all of us, because this means that some of us will experience spiritual apathy, but he's saying, hey, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I love that. Now, spiritual fervor, I had to look that up just so you know. Uh, fervor in Greek, here's what it means. It's really neat. It means literally boiling, boiling, that you are like red hot for God, super hot for God. Um, and again, you don't have to be noisy to be enthusiastic. You don't have to be that. Uh, but enthusiasm, enthusiasm, follow with me. It comes from two words as well. Do you know what those words are? In God. That's what that means, in God. And so when you get in God, then you will be enthusiastic. So here's what this means. Some of you need to hear this. Here's what you need to hear. It is not someone else's fault that you are not enthusiastic because people are not the source of enthusiasm for God in your life. They, so they can't be the reason. So you can't point to people for the lack of enthusiasm you have. You can't really blame people. And I'm gonna tell you this too. It ain't the church's fault either for the same reason because it is not our job to keep you enthusiastic. We have some jobs. Man, we're here to encourage you. We're here to remind you of who you are in Christ, remind of what Jesus did to lift high the name of Jesus and remind you of what God can do in your life. But our job is not to keep you enthusiastic. God's the one who does it. That's what we just read. That God is the one who does it. And it's him who wants you to be filled up with that. And it's him who can sustain it and keep it going because it's exciting to follow God. Can I just say that with a smile? It is. It's exciting to follow God. So here, follow me here. For some of us, you need to think about this, okay? 
at the root of spiritual apathy isn't people and it isn't even the church. It's actually, you might not even know this is what you're doing, but it's really someone saying, hey, you know what? God didn't really meet my needs. That's what you're saying without even knowing it. God, God didn't really meet my needs. And the problem, here's the thing, there's a problem there, but I'll give you a hint, the problem ain't God. There's only another person in that equation there. You could do the math there, okay? So, but I love this scripture. I love this scripture because it tells you how to combat that. It tells you what to do, how you can get out of it. It says, you do it through serving the Lord, through serving the Lord. It doesn't, I love this gang. You gotta come with me. It doesn't say serving people. It doesn't even say come to church. It says you do it. You focus all your service, even, even what you do for people saying, God, I'm doing this for you. Man, I'm, I'm serving you. I'm doing this to you. If you've, if you've lost enthusiasm, what do you do? Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Here's a third one. And this is, I think, the one that, I, here's the third one. Find something to do. Find something to do. Now, again, this is just, if we wanna get out of that, if we wanna get out of that rut, I wanna think about what you are doing and I'm guessing you're probably gonna have to do something, okay? That, that's just the guess. Uh, but here's what I wanna say. This is what's so great about a room full of people. I love this. God made us all different. Isn't that awesome? Like God made us very different and he made us all unique in how he wired us. And here's what this means, that you are wired to be moved by different things than me. Isn't that cool? And so here's what we have to do, everybody. We gotta look around and we gotta see, man, what is it? that God wired me to be fired up about. What is it? Like, what, what is it uh, that moves me? Because here's what we know. It's full, the world is full of things that God wants you to bring his light to. Isn't that cool? He wants you to bring his light into something. And so, man, find it, find it. Ask yourself, just ask yourself, God, what am I passionate about? Not, not man, what, what am I passionate about? No, God, what passion did you put in me? What fires me up? What upsets me? And gang, the solution isn't to get the church to do it. Like we wanna do something. We can't do everything. We can't do it. We do some great things. I think we do some really good initiatives here, but, but that's not the goal. Uh, and the goal also, and is also don't get fired up because we're not doing the thing that God is upsetting you about, man. The point is this. The point is for you to get moving, for you to do something, for you to bring God's light and get in the game and some of the things that he wants you to get involved with. Maybe some of you, maybe some of you are moved by the unborn. Maybe some of you uh, are moved by human trafficking. Or maybe, maybe some of you just, man, you have a desire to be a mentor to, to the next generation. Or maybe it's, you know, adoption and foster care. Maybe it's missions. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. And for some of those, we have some of that going on. Like we combat, you know, we combat the onboard. We combat some of these things with foster and adoption. We, just, we have that going on right now. So if that's you, we got that going. You can sign up to be a part of that. We have student ministry, man. You could be a mentor. We can't wait for you to sign up for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, we've got some of those things. Come shadow in our student ministry, sign up. Go on a mission trip. We got missions. We got some of that stuff going. And, and, and if we don't have it, here's what I wanna tell you. If we don't have it, don't feel like you have to start something. Start with us and we'll see what we could do and maybe point you in the right direction. But you also never know, everybody, maybe that is the next thing we start. Who knows? Uh, but we were, here's what I wanna tell you, and then I'll be done. You were not saved just to sit. You know that, right? 
I love that you're sitting. I mean, I don't want you standing up and moving around. That would distract me too much. But I'm just saying for the rest of the six days and, you know, 23 hours of your life, man, like you were not saved just to sit. Man, God wants you in action. And that's what brings it through. You can't be doing a bunch of stuff for God like that and not be enthusiastic. Trust me, like it won't happen. It's impossible to become bored in your faith when you're moving with God. I'm telling you, man, you were, you gotta get in the kingdom work. You gotta got get in that, whether it was an organization or serving somewhere out there. We got community organizations, state organizations, national organizations, bigger things than what we're doing that you could be a part of. Uh, and I, you gotta get involved in it, not just for our sake, but for yours as well, for yours as well. For some of you, again, I don't know what it is, Right now, some of you right now are called to mentor students and you're not doing it. And I'm telling you, nothing will bring passion for God when you step into that. Matt would love to talk to you. I'm sure he'll be out there in the lobby. I'm sure he would love to talk to you. Maybe, you're, maybe you need to be a rich kids leader. Maybe you need to go on the next mission trip you, you're gonna, uh, that we're gonna do. Maybe really it is to start a new ministry that we haven't thought of. Uh, the point is you were called to do something. You're called to do something. You can't let yourself stay on the sidelines watching because that's a travesty. Your faith will get boring every time if you sit on the sidelines. So don't do it, okay? You were created to be a part of something that is world-changing, world-changing. And it's not boring when you work for Jesus, man. I'm telling you, it's not boring when you do that. There's better things in mind. There's a greater call in your life. There's a higher experience that you can have. And it's to be on mission for your life. It's to be on mission for God and on mission for Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. God, um, I, it is, this is tricky because I know that you can reach folks however you wanna reach them. And I just pray over anyone here, anyone in that area of life where it's just like, I, I, want, I, I, I want my faith to, to be there, but it's just not. I'm not enthusiastic. I'm not very passionate about God like I am for other things in my life. Why not? And God, I, I do pray that you kind of break through to some people in this room and watching that if we could just look and see, man, it's not people doing it. It's not the church doing it. And if it's not you, God, then, then what do I gotta do? I think you will get people moving in their faith. Thank you for calling us on mission. Thank you for not calling us just to sit with the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. It's awesome that you want us to be a part of what you're doing. Show us that you did not call us to a boring faith, that you did not call us to, to, to lacking in the enthusiasm department for you, but, but a faith that gets us out of bed, a faith that fires us up, and we can all find it. We can all have it. Help us to find the courage, though, to take a step in your direction to get there. We love you and we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. All right, now you are released to go find something to do, everybody, all right? And I'm sure Matt would love to talk to you out there. If you wanna sign up for anything we got, we're here. Hey, we'll see you next week for the next message.